Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. How long does it take to count $1 million in $1 bills? Long time. Yeah, that, that's a good answer. Uh, I did a little research on that. Here's, here was one answer. Uh, if you can count from 1 to 100 in one minute, and you keep on counting every minute without stopping for eight hours every day, taking time off to eat, sleep, and go to school or go to work, you would reach 1,000, I mean, excuse me, 1 million in 20 days, 6 hours, and 40 minutes, almost 3 weeks. Now, if you... Um, if you give up eating, if you give up sleeping, if you give up uh, school or work and count uh, every minute of every hour of every day, you would reach one million in six days, 22 hours, excuse me, yeah, six days, 22 hours, and um, 40 minutes, almost one week. So, how long does it take to answer a two-cent question? About two seconds. How long does it take to answer a million-dollar question? Well, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to do that. Most of us in this room, hey, all of us in this room have grown up, uh, we've watched thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of television. We've watched thousands and thousands of hours of, of movies where at least from the, from the TV standpoint, major worldwide problems were conceived and solved in an hour. Now, we know that's not reality, but we've seen that so often that we have become unrealistic and impatient about the problems and the challenges we face in our lives. We're, very, we're a very impatient culture, and uh, we, we have an unrealistic view of problems, a serious physical problem or a relational problem or spiritual problem or, or, or challenge comes, and we think, I, hey, we can, we can make it happen, we can get this done, uh, and it just does not work that way for us. Solving worldwide problems takes more than an hour, and solving your problems and my problems takes more than an hour, and, and we do have a problem. We do have a big problem. I've been getting uh, uh, some emails and some cards this week following last week's uh, talk from the Scriptures in our services, and, and with a question, I'm just compiling all the questions and putting it in my, my own words, and the question goes like this, Pastor, I keep committing the same sins over and over and over. I ask forgiveness, and I commit them again. I ask forgiveness, and I go back. It's just over and over and over for years now, and I feel guilty, and I feel ashamed, and my life is messed up because I've not been able to change. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Why? So the question is, why am I this way, and what can I do about it? Why am I this way and what can I do about it? Some of, you, some of you wrote, Pastor, last week you said that if we're a Christian, if we're a follower of Jesus, then, then we have been, in the words of Paul, crucified with Christ, and He is in us, and now we are justified by God. We are declared legally set right with God up there, out there in His, in his judgment room, in His courtroom through our faith in Jesus. We've been forgiven. We've been reconciled to God. And if that's true, if all that's true, why am I having so much trouble with my sin 
daily. Why am I having so much trouble with my sins today, every day? Uh, you, Pastor, you said you didn't feel guilt and shame, but I do. What's wrong? I com- I'm confused. Well, some of you have quietly given up over the years, and you're just kind of going through the motions, faking it until you can go to heaven. This must just be the way it is. Now, this is a million-dollar problem. And uh, some of us here have sins. We have habitual sinful behaviors. We have bad habits. We have hang-ups. Some, have, some of us have developed these into full-blown addictions. And, um, but we're going to take it on. And we're going to take this problem on. And we're going to, but we're not going to answer this question this morning. We're not going to get this thing done in 30 minutes. Uh, this may take weeks. This may take months. Because this is a million dollar question. And so it's going to take some time. So here's what I'm asking of you. I'm asking of you to commit to the time. I'm asking you, church and, and individuals in the church, to commit to the journey uh, over the next several weeks together in God's Word for however long it takes for you to grab hold of God and God to grab hold of you and us to grab hold of His Word and His Word to get a grip on us and His Spirit to get a grip on us uh, to help us change this, this, this pattern. And so um, let's pray. And let's pray like crazy for this. That's, the, that's one of the starting places. So I'm going to pray now. Join me. So Lord, we lift up this challenge, this problem that we have with our daily living with you. The challenge of, our tem- of temptation, the challenge of sin and sinful habits and patterns and even addictions in our lives that even as followers of Jesus seem to train wreck our lives. So we're asking for your help. We're asking that you teach us and grant us grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, to win over sin, you've got to begin. Every journey starts with a step, every, and so we've got to begin. To win over sin daily, we've got to have a beginning, and a beginning is in the past when it comes to Jesus Christ. And so, for, for you, for the good life of Christ in the present Uh, we must have had the right beginning with Jesus in the past. And so we're going to start right there this morning. We're going to, as as, uh, Julie Andrews sang famously in Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. And she was right. That's good theology. And so we've got to go back. The Apostle Paul said, and this is our linchpin verse uh, for the next few weeks, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, this body, this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says there, the quote, I have been crucified with Christ. That that phrase means that there was a beginning with Christ for the Apostle Paul. There was a beginning. I have been. That speaks of, it's one of the aorist tenses in the Greek language. It speaks of uh, action that was completed in the past that has continuing implications and uh, influence on into the future. It, there was a beginning. There was a past. He, he started with Christ in the past. And so l- let me illustrate it this way. Salvation, 
life in Christ, being set right with God, uh, has a... Um, uh, has at least four aspects to it. Can we, do we have that? Yeah, take a look up here. There are four aspects of salvation. If you, can, if you would consider that salvation, life in Christ, uh, as a continuum, there is a before, there is a beginning, there is a continuation, and there is a completion. Before, uh, for you, just write B.C., before Christ in my own life. There, you had a life before Christ was in it. Uh, life before Christ. This is before you've been saved. This is before you come to faith in Christ. This is before you come to an understanding. This is before you receive God's gift of eternal life. There is a before. There is a life before Christ. Then the second aspect of salvation is a beginning. There is a beginning. There is a point in time when we begin this saving relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It changes everything. But it is a point in time. It takes place in the past. A point in time for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Then there is a continuation. The ongoing process of being saved. It is the, it is the daily walk with Christ, the daily being transformed and living out this new resurrection life of Christ in our bodies. And it is a process. It is a process. Now, in, these, in this journey over these next few weeks, we're going to spend most of our time on the continuation because that's where you're having the problem. That's where I'm having the problem. Those of you who are saying, hey, I've trusted Christ, but I'm, I, I, keep, I keep having trouble with my sins today. That's in the continuation phase. It is, is in the, it is in the present, life with Christ in the present. Then there is a completion phase, and that's when we step from this life into the next to be with Him in heaven, to be with Him in glory when salvation is complete. One way that we describe these three, beginning, continuation, and completion, is that the beginning of Christ sets us free from the penalty of sin. The continuation, in the continuation with Christ, we are set free from the power of sin over our daily lives. In the completion phase of salvation, we are set free from the very presence of sin with Him in glory. Got it so far? With me so far? Okay, here we go. Here we go. We will spend most of the next few weekends dealing with God's help, how, how to help you and me win over sin today. Win over our temptation, our sin, our habits, our hang-ups uh, daily in the present. But to do so, again, we need to make sure that you and I had the right beginning with Christ in the past. So today we're going to focus on the beginning aspect of salvation of the Christian life. How does one become a Christian? How does one become crucified with Christ in the first place? How does one start all this and have you done it? Have you done it? Now some of you are asking the question right now, you're kind of looking at me with a little bit of caution like you're asking, Pastor, now are you saying that it's possible that I got all this wrong to begin with? That I, that I think that I might be a Christian but I am not? Well, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so we must, throughout the scriptures, we are encouraged to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. Now, we're going to do that radically this morning. And so uh, we're going to jump in and, and see. Now, some of you are saying, but Pastor Keith, I've always been a Christian. I've always been a Christian. Now, I love you, and you know I love you. But you have not always been a Christian. No, you have not. No one has always been a Christian. 
not according to the Bible, and that's our source of authority. No one has always been a Christian. There is a before Christ, and there is a beginning with Christ. And so if you're one who's here saying, well, I've always been a Christian, then I would encourage you to say, Lord, help me examine closely, because maybe I missed it. Maybe I have misunderstood. You see, in the before phase, uh, God calls us. The Bible says that God the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of every human being on the planet right now trying to draw them to faith in Christ, an awareness of their sinfulness and separation from God, and a need for a Savior who is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he, uh, he not only does that, He enables us to recognize that. He is at work in the life of every person right now. Every person, all of you now who are not yet followers of Christ, He is at work in you right now. This service is evidence that He is at work seeking to draw you to Himself to be saved, to be forgiven, to be reconciled, to be made new, to be given new and abundant life. He is working. There's not a single person, and all of you have a uh, top three List, you know, everybody who's a part of Dogwood, we have a top three list. That's our, the top three far from God people in our life that in some time in our life, we want to desperately see them come to new life in Christ. Well, don't give up. Don't give up on them. Don't panic because the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives right now. God's calling them. That happens in the before stage, the before stage, calling people to turn from their sin-centered self centered lives and come to faith in Jesus through faith in Jesus plus nothing for their salvation. Jesus plus nothing. Now, let's talk about the beginning. One of the words that is used to describe beginning life with Christ is called, and write this down, conversion. Conversion. You've heard that used sometimes in, in other contexts like a conversion van where something is changed. Conversion is a spiritual term. It's a, it's a biblical theological term. It's a, it's a Christian term. It speaks of something definite that has to do with salvation. And it speaks of beginning. What happens in the beginning? Beginning the Christian life, conversion means that there is a change. There's a change, a fundamental change in our inward nature, in your inward nature. Uh, a change in our spiritual condition that is quite different uh, from the way that we previously existed and lived. There's a change. Conversion takes place. This new life in Christ, this salvation, this eternal life is, is lifelong and it is everlasting, but it has a definite beginning called conversion. And so let's take a look at that. The first step is conversion. Now here's one definition. Conversion is the act of turning, put down the word turn, that's going to be an important word, turning from one's sin in repentance and turning to Jesus in faith. Conversion is the act of turning from sin to Jesus in faith. Turning from sin in repentance and to Jesus in faith. 
Now, there, there are two aspects of conversion. There's a negative side and there's a positive side. Uh, there's a repentance side and a faith side. Let's talk about repentance first. Now, repentance from sin and faith in Jesus actually cannot be separated. They can't be separated. We're talking about one act here that begins our new life in Jesus Christ. They can't be separated. They're two sides of the same coin. So here's my question. Has that happened to you? Has there been a a moment in your past where you consciously turned from your sin-centered, self-centered life and you turned to faith in Jesus. You let go of something and you turned to someone. Has that happened to you? Some of you are saying yes. Some of you are saying no. Good. You know where you stand. Some of you are saying I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure, let's get, how, why don't we get sure today? Got it? Let's get sure today. I mean, you can't, this is not something you should be fuzzy on. Too much is at stake. Dale Giesland and I had a good buddy who stepped from here into eternity about 6 o'clock last night. Pretty young guy. You might do that too. So, oh, pastor, you're getting into that. We're going to die in your manipulation. No, it's just a fact. You're going to die. There is a burial plot waiting somewhere on the planet for your corpse right now. And mine. You, you just cannot risk this. So if you're not sure, let's make sure. Repentance. The Old Testament speaks of this in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 through 32. Here's what it says. Therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Here it is. He says, repent and turn. And basically he's being... Uh, redundant there. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so they will not be a stumbling block uh, that causes your punishment. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? I take no pleasure in anyone's death, says the Lord. Uh, So this is the declaration of the Lord. Repent and live. Repent and turn, repent and live. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says this. God speaks and He says, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Repentance means abandonment. Repentance means repudiation. Repentance means rejection. Repentance means forsaking. Uh, Repentance means turning. There are two Hebrew words in the Old Testament used that are translated into the English word repent. And they have two different shades of meaning, both of them related to this how we actually repent in a way that we are changed. The first word, uh, Hebrew word, meant to lament. It meant to grieve, it meant to pant, it meant to sigh, it meant to groan. Uh, and it, it stresses the, uh, the emotional despair that we have over our sinfulness. That we despair over it. It becomes a big deal to us. Not a big, eh, everybody, nobody's perfect. That's not repentance. It's a big deal. The second Hebrew word that is used to... Um, Uh, speak of repentance, stresses the importance of an actual, moral, and ethical separation from sinful behavior. 
It means not only to feel bad about it and groan and mourn about it, but it means a, an active, intentional turning away from something. In, in the Bible case, we're talking about sin here and entering into, therefore, fellowship with God. In the New Testament, there are two words um, also that are translated repentance. The first one, uh, metamelomai, says this. It means to, to have a feeling of, of care, of concern, or regret. And it stresses, again, the emotional aspect of repentance. Deep feelings of remorse. Deep feelings of regret from having done wrong. The second word in the New Testament for repent is metanao. And it means to think differently about our sin. It means to change our mind, a change of mind about our sin that results in a change of direction. Feeling deeply about it, thinking deeply about it, changing our mind about it so that it changes our direction and our perspective on our sin. Now, repentance is a prerequisite for salvation. It is a prerequisite uh, for being set right with God. It is a requirement to receive new and abundant and eternal life through Jesus Christ. It is essential to beginning with Jesus. Without this kind of repentance, there is no salvation. There is no remission of sin. There is no um, being accepted by God and forgiven. There is none. Without repentance, there must be. Now, Let's, be, let's drill down on this a little bit uh, because we have, a, we have a tough time with this in our culture. Regret alone is not repentance. Regret alone is not repentance. Now, true biblical repentance certainly includes regret, but it's more. Uh, it, is, it is more than that. Um, there, there are... F- other forms of regret over, someone, over our wrongdoing, which are based on different motives, uh, one form of regret basically is motivated by little more than our own selfishness. And uh, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I served as youth minister in a small town in northwest Georgia for about three years. And one Friday night, a group of the high school guys in our youth group were kind of camping out in a guy's backyard. And they'd all just got their driver's license. So they thought it'd be fun to do what most of you did about three in the morning. They pushed the car down the driveway and down the street so the dad wouldn't hear them crank the car and crank the car and went riding around. Did that sound familiar? Anybody? Yeah, I see the bless you. I see those hands. Those of you who didn't raise your hand know exactly what I'm talking about. And so uh, they pushed it down the street, and, they, and then they got in the car and were riding around on a joyride, and then they got this great idea. Wouldn't it be fun to ride around town and turn on all the, water, on the, all the fire hydrants? It's about 3 in the morning, and they got a ton of them on, and uh, the water department started noticing that the water pressure in town was diminishing. Well, thank God the police caught them before anybody's house caught on fire. Got the things turned off, took them down to the police station, and there, uh, and then consequences uh, uh, proceeded. The, the police chief knew all their daddies. He said, well, you can call your daddy. So there's about 10 of these dads from our church show up down there. And, and uh, consequences. Now... One of the young men expressed this selfish regret 
uh, when he was asked um, if he was sorry for what he did, one of the boys said to me, well, I'm sorry that I got caught and punished. He was just sorry that he got caught and punished. He didn't regret the action at all. That is not repentance, just in case you're wondering. It is not. Real repentance involves sorrow for one's sin for, because of the wrong. There's a deep sense of that we have wronged God, that we have, uh, we have hurt God, that we are, we are not okay with God. And, and there's sorrow uh, partnered with a genuine desire to abandon the behavior. Not just to get forgiveness for it so that you can keep on doing it and, get, and then get forgiveness again. This thing of, oh, it's okay, God will forgive us. Uh, who, what kind of fool do you think God is? There's no sense of repentance there at all. No sense at all. It's like, it's like uh, if you were to uh, go to an army base and see men uh, uh, marching on the drill uh, on the field, and they're marching, and the command is given to the rear march, they do a 180, and they turn, and they go in the opposite direction. Repentance is a 180. It is changing our mind about the direction we are going, so much so that we turn from it and go in the opposite direction. When we repent, we go in the other direction. It is simply not enough to believe in the grace of Jesus to be saved. Oh, good, Jesus died on the cross. I want some of that grace without any sense of remorse and turning from sin. Mm-mm. It's not enough. It's not enough. If that's what you did, you did not begin with Jesus. I don't know what you did, but you are not okay with Jesus. For Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If there is no conscious awareness of sin... No conscious sorrow for our sin. No intentional desire to turn from our sin. If there's no real awareness of having been uh, saved uh, from the penalty, then there's no real awareness of having been saved from the penalty of our sin and the power of our sin. This is why parents of young children, I, I caution you, just be careful with your kids. They all love Jesus. Because they've been raised around him, and it's natural for them to. And they want to ask him into their heart. It's the most natural thing in the world if they've been raised around him, and, and he draws near to them. But they are innocent until they become aware, not only not just that they disobey you every now and then, but that they have offended a holy God. Now, they've got to mature to a point of moral responsibility before they can become aware of sin against God. And so I don't want you to inoculate them, vaccinate uh, them against uh, a, the real thing by an early hurried baptism. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, it's another sermon for another time. But the, I'm, the importance of an awareness of our sin and the, the horror of it has to be there before we can be saved. And God is the one who even makes us aware of our own sinfulness. He does that. So, let me ask you a question. Did you begin with Jesus this way? Did you? Did you? 
Did you begin with Jesus this way? Have you repented with godly sorrow and been repulsed by your sin against God and, and have a desire to turn away from it, run away from it? If so, good. Uh, that's the start. If not, you will not win over sin today because you never got victory over sin in the beginning. You can't win over sin here if you didn't have the right beginning. To win over sin, you got to begin. You got to begin. That's the starting place for you and for me. Now, conversion means repentance, but the flip side of conversion means faith. Repentance from sin, faith in Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul was crucified with Christ. He was joined with Christ. He was placed in union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. He was justified by God. He was declared set right with God, set free from the penalty of sin, adopted by God into the family of God when he repented of his sin and placed his faith in Jesus Christ for his salvation. That's when he did it. Faith is the positive aspect of conversion. Faith is taking as reality the promises of God in Christ in the Bible. Faith is living as if the Bible were really true when it comes to being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Faith is total surrender in trust and obedience. It is an attitude of total surrender to Christ in an attitude of trust and intent to obey. Obedience is the expression of faith. Now, some say, well, pastor, I just thought faith equals belief. That's the equation. Well, that is true if faith is properly defined. So let's define it very quickly. You ready? Here we go. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, faith was uh, defined by the use of verbs. By the use of verbs. In the Old Testament, it conveys the idea that faith is, is something that someone does rather than something someone has. There's action to it. It is an activity. It is not a possession. It is a confident, active, resting and leaning upon something. In, in this context of the Bible, leaning on Christ, actively, trusting, leaning on Him. In the New Testament, the New Testament word for faith has two nuances of, of meaning. First of all, uh, the first basic meaning of the word faith in the New Testament is to believe something is true. To believe the facts about something. To believe it to be so. To believe what someone says. To accept a spiritual statement is true. Faith involves believing that something is true. And in our case, believing that the Bible, what the Bible says about Jesus and the gospel is true. It is, I agree, I agree, I believe this is so. This is what is expressed in Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6, that says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. This is one of the verses in the context where this, this uh, word means to acknowledge the facts as true. The second meaning of this word, faith in the New Testament, signifies personal, active Trust as distinct from mere belief of the facts. It's, it means action in response to 
what we believe is true. Uh, and the way you can always tell the, is the context of the word believe or, or faith is used with a preposition. And it's usually the preposition in. For example, in Mark 1.15, the Bible says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. We say believe in. There's that same use of the word for faith. It means to believe in. It is to place active trust in. To believe in Jesus, to place faith in Jesus, was to place one's personal trust on Him. It is that kind of faith that begins our salvation with Jesus. And nothing short of that. Nothing short of that. It is necessary to become a Christian, uh, to make one crucified with Christ, and to receive all the benefits of forgiveness and new life. Uh, That faith includes both believing that it is true, that the gospel is true, and it includes putting one's active faith in Jesus and on His work on the cross and resurrection from the dead, the faith in Jesus plus nothing plan to be saved, to set you right with God, to begin the relationship with uh, uh, God and to cleanse and beautify your life. Now, let me, let me illustrate it this way. we got a good chair here. Some of you are sitting in them. Now, this chair looks sturdy, doesn't it? Help me, help me. Help me, help me. It looks sturdy. It looks sturdy. Now, there are like, you know, five, six hundred of you sitting in chairs like this, and so it looks sturdy. Um, I believe that chair would hold me up. I believe it's true that I can sit in this chair and it will hold me up. But it's not holding me up, is it? Why? I got to put my faith in it. I got to put my trust in it. I got to believe in it. I got to get in it. And so now I got the benefits of it. I was getting tired up here. But that, that is the picture It is believing that this is true to the point that I am going to place active trust in this chair to hold me up. The same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. Look at me. You may have have believed in Jesus for a long, long time, ever since you were a little child. That may be what you have meant by saying, I have always believed in Jesus. Good. You're halfway there. You're halfway there. You may have believed in Jesus for a long, long time, but it made no difference in your life now and in your eternity because you never did anything about it. You never placed your active trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. It can, it can be illustrated by air travel. Any of you planning, uh, any of you men and women or uh, families uh, planning business or vacation, you're going to travel by air this week? Let me see your hands really quick. All over the place. Yeah, some of you are flying planes, some of you are serving on them, some of you are traveling for business. Sure. Now, there's several things involved in... Um, and having a successful trip. you got to purchase a ticket. you got to schedule it. you got to get, get to the airport you know, an hour and a half early. Someone gets you there. And you've got to go through security. you got to check your bags. You've got to uh, get out to the, to the right gate and uh, be there on time. Yay. Now, did that get you to Denver? No. You can believe all day long that that plane is going to take you to Denver, Colorado, but if you, don't do, if, you don't, if you don't place active trust in that plane, it's going without you. It's going without you. You've got to get on the plane. You can believe all day long 
that Jesus died on the cross for you, rose from the dead, and that he offers salvation uh, to you. But if you don't get on his plane, he's leaving you. You're not going. You're not going to enter the family of God. You're not going to live in the kingdom of God. You're not going to get to experience that here and now. Got it? Got it. Now, have you done that? Let's make sure. Pray with me. Pray with me. Pray with me. Turn the place where you're seated into your own private place of prayer. Would you do that now? Do that right now. Is, let me ask you a question. Is there any reason you'd not be willing to receive God's gift of new and eternal life through faith in Jesus right now? Are you willing to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus alone? Then do so. Let me coach you. You pray from your own heart with your own words. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. In fact, I am a sinful person. And I regret it. I mourn it. I mourn my sin. I grieve my sin and what it's done to offend you. I need your forgiveness. Lord, I repent. I turn. I want to turn away from my sin. Help me to abandon my sin. And come into my life right now, Lord Jesus. I believe in you and what you did on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And I now place my active trust in you alone to convert me, to save me, to set me right with you, to forgive my sin, to give me new life, to give me abundant life, to give me your gift of eternal life, to turn me into the kind of person you want me to be. To the best of my understanding, I turn from my sin and I commit myself, my life, and my eternity into your hands. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.